grateful for his grace and love, right? Let's grab a seat. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Well, you can probably notice from the song selection that there's kind of a running theme here this morning. We're talking about this idea of freedom. We're talking about that concept, and we're going to see it splashed all over our text this morning. But this idea of freedom is, is something that, that really draws and drags uh, many of us, sucks many of us in. I, I remember probably one of my favorite movies. You can probably picture this scene in the movie Braveheart. Uh, the, the scene where uh, William Wallace, played by Mel Gibson, he's on the, the horse. He's riding back and forth trying to, to rally the army to, uh, to go into battle. And you remember the words that, that he spoke to the, the group. And I can, I can picture it. it still gives me a little chills. He's just like, he says, they can take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. That's right. But this idea of uh, a freedom is something that we're all uh, born with. We're wired with a desire for that. It's something that, that stirs people to even go to war, to battle. We, we, we're under the umbrella of freedom, even in this country. It's something that we, that we love. And this idea of freedom, what I want to present this morning, we're going to see in our, our text, is that freedom, though, isn't necessarily as defined by our culture. Our culture might say that, that freedom is this idea of independence and self-reliance and the absence of rules. That's freedom. But the truth is, is what Paul is presenting is that the truth is that freedom doesn't have to do with those things. Freedom comes with submission. Freedom comes with submission. Submitting to Almighty God, to, to the powerful Almighty God that knows best, that's all-powerful, that's sovereign, that has our best, best interest in mind. That's where we experience true freedom. When we release our attempts at fixing things, solving things on ourselves, navigating life on our own, when we let go of that and let God play the rightful place of God in our life, that's when we truly experience freedom. And Paul had experienced that. He had come from a whole background of rules of do's and don'ts and all of this weight that had weighed him down for years and years. And he was released from that by the grace of Jesus Christ. And when he's released by that, I'll tell you what, he became a freedom fighter. We're going to see in the text here today that he was not willing to go back. There was nothing that was going to drag him back to the life of, of, of shackles and expectations that just aren't there. I love this freedom principle that, that, uh, that Paul lives by. This, we can put that on the screen now. This idea that, that it's a life-changing truth that God's pleasure in you is not based on your performance for him. God's pleasure in you is not based on your performance for him, allowing that to really sink in and resonate, that he couldn't love you any more than he does in this moment. It's not based on do's and don'ts. That's the freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom that he is crazy about you, even in the state that you are in this moment. It's an awesome thing. And that's what Paul was living under that truth. And he's like, man, I am not going back. I'm not going back to this do works mentality. I'm not getting sucked back into that. And so he fights this. And we're going to see in our text here this morning in Galatians 2 that this, pre, this freedom principle, it carries out, it plays itself out in a number of different ways in Paul's life. So while he's defending accusations about his authority and the integrity of his message, you're going to see different freedom principles that I want to bring to light here this morning that hopefully are things that we not just observe, but things that we can uh, 
adopt and we can help introduce into our own lives. But before we dive in, let me just pray for us now. God, we thank you for this chance. And even under the umbrella of freedom that allows us to be gathered here this morning to dig into your word to celebrate you through worship, God. We ask that you'd speak, that you'd expand our view of grace, that you'd expand what freedom, the definition even in our mind looks like. Not of us being absent of rules or absent of direction, but, but by submitting to you is how we actually experience true freedom. God, I pray that that would really encapsulate this morning, that this would even be a marker in some people's lives where they release a do mentality and embrace what's already been done. Pray now that you'd speak through your word. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, if you could turn with me to Galatians 2, or uh, just starting in verse 1, and I'll tell you the truth, it's going to be really hard to follow along this morning unless you're actually looking at this text. And so uh, it would be great if you join me in Galatians 2, 1. This first freedom principle that I want to identify is this, is to lean into respected advisors. Lean into respected advisors. Let's take a look at verse 2 or verse 1 in chapter 2 of Galatians. It says this, Then after 14 years, this is Paul speaking, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Let's pause there. A little background. This, is, this, uh, this description is actually, the account of it is actually found also in Acts 15. It talks about what was going on here. It was actually, what had happened is the church that Paul was a part of, he was in the city of Antioch, which is about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And there are some, there are some Jewish folks that were sneaking into the church. We're going to see it explained a little bit further in the text. But they're teaching the idea that unless you're circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. If you remember last week when we described Jesus plus anything is a problem. Jesus plus anything is a problem. They were trying to teach this. A lot of times when you're reading the Old Testament stuff, you're like, "What's what's the big deal with circumcision? Why is that constantly talked about? It's awkward to talk about. It was part of the tradition for Jewish people at that time. It was an outward sign that they were God's chosen people. Now the confusion fell though, is that the Gentile people, what they were teaching was that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, had to adopt Jewish culture prior to being able to accept what Jesus had done for them on the cross. So again, Jesus plus anything is a problem. So they're trying to send that message that, hey, that's, that's great that, you, that the whole Jesus thing happened, but you also have to become, accept and embrace some of the cultural norms for the Jewish uh, people. And so Paul, I love it. If you look in Acts 15, 2, we see this. Uh, it, says, it, it says, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. That's like the polite way of saying, like, they threw down. You know what I mean? Like, I love how Scripture kind of downplays it. But, he, but it's basically saying, like, hey, Paul and Barnabas were not having it. No small dissension. You know what I mean? Like, it, it got heated. So much so that in Acts 15, you see that the church actually sent Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to get this question mark settled, to resolve this, to get it figured out. Like, hey, what is the right way to approach this? Do we make the, the new Gentile believers embrace? 
embrace the culture of, of the Jewish people. So they sent Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to get it worked out with the leadership there. But although you got to think of, with that with that call for uh, for Paul, like imagine him having to a little bit of swallowing some like humble pie, right? So a little bit of like, wait a second, I'm the one that founded this church. I'm the one that's been doing all of this outreach, and you're going to call me, you're going to tell me to humble myself, go before the other apostles, and, and, and put, that, uh, put what I'm teaching to the test, really? You could see how like, he could have dug his heels in, but the cool thing you see in the text is that he says, hey, because, based on, because of a revelation, I went to Jerusalem. So because, in other words, because God told him to, he said, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to set what I've been teaching, he's going to set what he's been teaching before the authority of the church at that time. I'm going to set it before them and I'm going to prove to you that what I'm saying, Paul speaking, I'm going to prove to you that what I'm saying is consistent with what the apostles in Jerusalem, I'm not teaching you something new. But I love this as I was thinking about this, this act of freedom, this freedom principle that we see in, in Paul's life that he was willing to, to say like, you know what, I'm going to put my pride on the shelf and I'm going to go humble myself and pull other people into this. I'm going to include other people, the, the church leadership at that, that time. And I was thinking what the takeaway for us is what an important thing it is for us. And part of our experience of freedom is to have respected advisors that we lean into. Other believers that you run things by, that you, that you help to navigate through life. Well, you, the, the truth is, is that following Christ wasn't designed to be a lone ranger thing. It was supposed to be something that we do collectively. And that's one of the reasons why you hear us consistently saying like, man, you need life groups. You need other believers around you, other people calling you out. The truth is very few adults have somebody calling them out on the junk in their lives, right? Very few adults, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't have somebody that's saying like, hey man, this is a blind spot. You're like, you need, to, you need to work on this. Like this has to change. You can't treat your wife like that. You can't, you can't engage in that. You can't have a business run like that. You can't do, we need people calling us out. That's why respected advisors are, are good for calling us out on our junk, but also giving advice. How many of you can think of a time where you're going into a major life decision and what a blessing a godly person that spoke into your life said, hey, man, you should be doing this. You should consider this. It's a gift that God's given us and part of the freedom of I don't have to fix it and solve it all myself. I have others to lean into. Part of the freedom of following Christ. So Paul, Paul experienced that. And it says that he set, the, set before him what he'd been teaching to make sure that he wasn't running in vain. So this first point that a freedom principle is making sure that we have people that are speaking into our lives. Verse three, it continues on. Another uh, freedom principle I want to point out is the idea of don't add extra biblical rules. Don't add extra biblical rules. Verse three says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Let's pause there. I, I love the, that description there. The first thing that he points out, you can see, is that Titus was not forced to be circumcised, even though he was a, a Gentile. 
So that something must have gone down in Jerusalem that had him come to that conclusion that he showed up in Jerusalem and was uncircumcised and he left Jerusalem uncircumcised. He wasn't called to live differently. Encouraging thing is when you read in uh, Acts 15, you actually see what happened that allowed him to leave with that freedom, that allowed him to not have to submit to that. Acts 15.10, we see, if you want to glance over there, I love this description. Peter, who is one of what Jesus described as the uh, cornerstone of the church, was the foundational, one of the foundational leaders. In Acts 15.10, he speaks up to this issue and puts the argument to rest, if you will. Listen to what, what Peter says uh, to, the, to the group that had gathered. It says, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth, Peter talking, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. In other words, man, I extended the invite to them too. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. It's the same. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now listen to this, verse 10. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But listen to this conclusion. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. In other words, listen, I believe, he's saying, I believe that the, the message was to be extended to both the Jews and the Gentiles. Why are we trying to put a yoke or a, a chain around their neck? That wouldn't make sense. Trying to have them try to do something we weren't able to do. He's saying to his, his fellow Jewish believers, like, why would I impose that on them? That wouldn't make sense. But instead, they're saved the same way that we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone putting their trust in the work that he had done on the cross. What he's saying is what Jesus did was enough. It satisfied all the laws, all the expectations. You don't need to add anything to it. Don't add extra biblical rules. You see, legalism, it does exactly that. Legalism, by definition, is right behavior with a wrong belief. Right behavior with a wrong belief, working to earn God's favor rather than a response to his favor, working to earn his favor rather than, to, than doing it as a response to say, man, thank you, thank you so much for what you've done for me. I want to respond to that favor by, by acts of kindness and loving those around me. It's a, it's a response. It's not a means to gain his favor. Back to the same point I started the message with. We can't increase God's favor and love for us by our actions. So don't add extra biblical rules. It's a bad thing. You see, the truth is laws aren't a bad thing. Laws aren't, aren't a bad thing. Biblical laws help us not miss out on God's best for our lives. It's a good thing to have boundaries in place. The things that God's outlined and his plan for us is just like, man, it's, it's with our best interest in mind. But when we start introducing those with this thought process that, well, if you do this, that's how you gain favor with God. And the truth is, is when you start to slip into that lie and that, and that pattern of thinking, what happens? You start elevating yourself above, uh, above others. You're like, well, I do that. Why don't they do that? I do this. Like, and you're, it, it gets really unhealthy really quick when we start adopting things as part of a Jesus plus this equals salvation. 
Look what, look what Paul says in response. He says, we did not yield in submission even for a moment. In other words, we didn't budge a bit. Like we didn't change. We didn't adjust. Uh, my, my buddy, my buddy T- Titus that showed up uncircumcised left uncircumcised. He's not changing a bit. As believers, when we are set free, we don't want to put the chains back on. I was corresponding with a woman from our church this week by email, uh, just talking about this topic, and I, I thought it was interesting. She grew up in more of a relig- uh, uh, legalistic uh, background, and she, she said this. She said, leaving a works-based religion, it's hard to get used to all the things you don't have to do. I thought that was cool. That leaving a, a works-based religion, it's hard to get used to the freedom that we have in Christ, that we're not bound by all, so, all the do's and don'ts in attempts to appease our God. But the truth is that people that are stuck in tradition, they a lot of times have a hard time letting it go. They want to impose it on others. They want to impose their rules and their regulations. And that's what he says in the text. He says, they slipped in to spy out our freedom. They, they, they wanted to introduce, to put the shackles back on. But Paul's like, I had nothing to do with that. The reason why he says this, that he didn't go back to it. The reason why is that the gospel might be preserved for you. You see, when we add things to the gospel message, we're polluting it. We're saying what Jesus did on the cross wasn't quite enough. What? The God of the universe came down in the flesh, died as a atoning sacrifice for my sin, and that wasn't enough to cover my sins? My additional this or that that I'm going to do, that's going to add to it? Really? Like, really? Is that, is that really how that works? No. He's saying that's enough. So not adding a, a, a bit to the gospel message. Don't add a, a, a bit to, or he's wanting to preserve the gospel message. Protect it by not adding to it. So that's the second freedom principle is don't, don't add to the, the, the gospel by imposing our own rules and, and laws. And then the next one we're going to see in the text is don't show partiality. Look in verse 6 as it continues. And from those who seemed, this is him telling the story, and from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Those who seemed influential added nothing to me. So he's saying, hey, what the first thing I thought was interesting is that the, the, the descriptor there, it says, seemed to be influential. Who, who was he talking about? He's talking about Peter. He's talking about the other apostles. Like, I'm like, well, if there's anybody that qualifies as being influential, the, like Jesus' disciples probably would have been considered that. But what he's saying, it doesn't matter who the person is. Like, uh, sure, you're supposed to give appropriate respect, but still getting back to the base point that we're not supposed to treat somebody different based on who they are. There's to be no partiality. We're not to elevate one person over another person. Like it's, we're, we're all on level playing field. It doesn't matter what our position is. We're all the same before Almighty God. Can you imagine how comical that must seem to God Almighty when, when we choose to like elevate one person over another person, treat somebody differently because they, one person has wealth and prestige or uh, somebody doesn't? Like how silly that must seem in the eyes of the creator God. It must bring a chuckle to his mouth. I was, uh, I was blessed yesterday. A friend of mine from the church had uh, access to be able to go uh, 
uh, to Sherwood Country Club, which is pretty cool experience, I got to admit. And so we went and uh, played some, some tennis uh, yesterday morning there. And the, the key was is that I didn't pay anything for it. And, uh, and so uh, I don't know if you've been there before, but I, I, as I was pulling in, I noticed the, the guard at the guard shack. It was interesting because I, I almost felt like he was a little bit on edge and like treating people extra nice and trying to be really polite because he, didn't, he wanted to be careful not to offend the wrong person, right? Somebody that was maybe a, a top-level somebody. And I was trying to assure him, I'm like, trust me, I'm nobody. <laughs> I'm nobody. You don't even have to be nice to me. And, uh, and, uh, and, and so, and, and so it, it was fun just thinking on that. In fact, we had um, a good teachable moment with our kids around the table to, this week. And we're like, you know what? Uh, it's so important for us like, not to treat anybody different because of one person might have wealth, one person doesn't have wealth. And we're kind of unpacking that as, as simply as we could to our kids. And it was funny to hear little Sienna, our youngest, she goes, well, that's great because I'm broke and you can treat me really good. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, well, yeah, there, there you go. And she's like, I've, I've got no money. <laughs> um, but this, this idea here that he's saying, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality, shows no partiality. Do you see the potential for freedom in that? When we were just seeing like, you know what, I'm just going to love people regardless whether they've got a lot, they've got a little, they're a high position, low position. The freedom that comes in that should be like, man, takes the weight off, right? When you're just said, you know what, no partiality, that's a freedom principle. It's a gift. And the truth is, it wouldn't hurt for that to sneak into church world as well. That doesn't mean that there shouldn't be, uh, there, there's roles and different people that have different positions and to show appropriate respect for that, but not to treat them better because of the position that they're in. Does that make sense? There's freedom in that. There's freedom in that. We're sucked in, especially in this area, to elevating people inappropriately. So this, this idea, don't show partiality, and it, he, he was saying, uh, he, he added to, he goes on to that, he says that they added nothing to me, they added nothing to me. In other words, after they saw what I was teaching, they saw the law that I was presenting and what I was teaching, he's saying, they didn't, they didn't have one little thing to say like, hey, make sure you add this, make sure you add that. That's why Titus was either able to leave uh, the same way that he showed up, but I was thinking about about that. I was like, but, but what about some of the uh, maybe inconsistency there? I'm like, why didn't Titus have to be circumcised? But in Acts 16, you see his other, his faithful companion that Timothy had to be. You're like, wait a second. Was that like a bad hand of rock, paper, scissors? Like how did, the, like how did Timothy get stuck with, with that? Uh, sorry for the pun there. Uh, but, but, the, but, the, but the idea, it, did, it didn't make any sense for one to be included and not the other. So Titus got to say, and the reason for that, I was unpacking that a little bit this week. The, the reason for that is, the, the truth is, is that Titus was a Gentile. And if he would have chosen to participate in that, he would have been saying, yes, there's, a, there's an expectation that was an addition to what Christ had done that was needed. But Timothy, on the flip side, Timothy was, uh, was part Jew, and in order for him to effectively minister to the people group he was called to, he needed to make that adjustment. Not, not a desired adjustment, but he needed to make that adjustment so that he could effectively, what did Paul consistently say? I became all things to all people so that some might be saved. 
He was willing to make that just so he could effectively reach to his culture. So it's not showing partiality to adjust and to be relevant to the world around us, to be, to be effectively trying to reach out to people. There's nothing wrong with adapting to our culture as long as we're not compromising the gospel message. I, I was reading this definition that uh, Mark Driscoll gave of the three different categories of, of believers, legalists, Take principles, what God teaches, the principles that are all throughout Scripture, principles and methods, and make them binding. Legalists take principles and methods and make them binding. Liberals take principles and methods and toss them both out. This idea of like, you know what, principles and God, they're they're both gone. A biblical Christian makes principles binding. Are you tracking with me? Principles binding and leave methods flexible. Flexible, leaning on the Holy Spirit to help live out the principles in our culture. That's how we're supposed to navigate this. Like, man, some of the, the, the Jesus stuff and the gospel truth, like if you ever are in a service and you don't hear me appropriately, like come up, give me a right hook. Maybe not in the service, wait till afterwards. Call me out on that if there's something that's being presented that, that, that doesn't uh, align with the, the, the content of the gospel message. But it's okay to adjust with the culture to be more relevant. I remember being on staff at one church some years back and the, the music thing had become quite a debate as to what was appropriate music in church. Anybody ever been in a, in a church where that became a big deal? Uh, yeah, like most of us. That's why we left and came here. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but a lot of times that, that be- can become such a, a dividing factor in the church. And I thought it was interesting. There's one man that, that was a part of the church uh, that, that he came up with this, this conclusion. He, sa- he said, you know what? He says, as long as, as God is being glorified and people are being introduced to Christ, who cares what I like or don't like? I was like, you know what? That shows some maturity, right? When, when, when it's not about the, the method, it's about the content. When that becomes elevated, when Jesus is a, still being proclaimed, there might be some flexibility that are even outside of our preferences, and that's okay. You can tuck that away for future use. The idea for that is, uh, is the idea of if, if you can't compromise the, the gospel, but you can, you can change uh, to, to effectively reach the culture that we're placed. We're trying as best as we can to minimize obstructions, minimize obstructions. So the, the freedom that comes with that, not showing partiality, not elevating one person over another, but also being willing to adjust in order that people exposed to the gospel, to the truth, to the saving grace that Jesus offers through his death on the cross. But then this other freedom principle we're going to see in verse 7 is, uh, is this, follow God's ministry calling. Let me explain this one in a moment. First, let's read verse 7. It says, on the contrary... When they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. In other words, God moved him to work, reach one person. He, he moved me to reach another person. It says, and when James and Cephas, which is named for Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, that's funny, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, 
that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Let's pause there. The, the thing that I think is, is neat there. First off, I, I love the, uh, how, how you see two different groups of men, rel- leaders in the church at that time, coming together and just the bond that they immediately had. That's, it's pretty cool. And maybe you've experienced this in your own life with other believers that you've crossed paths with. Uh, I just had uh, lunch this week with a, a, a newer gentleman from our church. And it was, it was fun just because we had that, that bond in Christ. And even after a short time of talking, like I felt like we were old friends, like we've been friends for years just because of that bond that we have in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've experienced that too with the people that you've engaged, uh, maybe even in this community. But I love that, that we see that from two different groups of church leaders. It wasn't about who's, who's right and who's wrong. It was, man, there's the bond there that they have. And I, I, I like the, one of the reasons that it gives for that is Paul says that they perceived the grace that was given to me. They perceived the grace that was given to me. This idea of, man, grace should just be exuding out of us. Where we're just like, man, I I get it. I rub shoulders with him and I understand that he grasps grace. He, he realizes that it's nothing to do with him. There's a certain tinge of humility with somebody that's actually grasped grace, right? Like there, there's something attractive about somebody that's living and basking in God's grace. And that's what they said there, that there's that bond that they initially have. I thought it was interesting that it describes there, it says that they gave the right hand of fellowship. Chad was sharing with me this week that that's something that's been said. Maybe if you've been around the church for a while, that's the expression that the church uses for somebody that's becoming a member at ABF. Anybody been around long enough to hear that expression? The right hand of fellowship. And I was like, first I was like, that sounds a little cheesy, but then I'm like, oh, it's biblical. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but the right hand of fellowship, I was looking at the background of that, is that in the Near East, to clasp a right hand was to make a solemn vow of friendship. This was a mark of a partnership saying, hey, we're going to do this ministry thing together. So they're agreeing that they're united under the same message, the same calling. But what's different, and I think I I love this, is the the normalcy in which they speak of the fact that one is called to one people group and another is called to another people group. It was fine. That was like, you know what? Clearly God's called you to the the, this Gentiles all the way up in uh, 300 miles north of here. I'm called to the, the Jews to minister to them. And that was just common speak in that time. I would love for us as a, as a community to be okay and see that, have that same mentality to see like, hey, you're placed here in this area to, to be ministering to them. We're united with the same calling to introduce folks to Jesus Christ, but you have this ministry here, you have it there, you have it there. Like what a beautiful thing where this on Sunday mornings is a collection of ministers that are called all over the place. There's a certain weight, there's a certain freedom that comes to that, to let go of like, hey, I don't need to solve uh, trying to, to reach people in, in John Spock's business world. Like, I'll probably not cross paths with many people in his field. Like, I'm not that concerned about their retirement plans. And, uh, and, and so, but, but God's called him to that group. Like, I, I, uh, I was, uh, this last week, I was I had fun with Tom and Mindy. They were doing, working on a, a movie, a Christian movie in the area. And they, they're crossing paths with people like, man, I'll, I'll most likely never engage with the, these people. But that's the ministry that they've been called to. Each one of us having a specific ministry or people group that we've been invited to reach out to. 
I was uh, in our elders meeting this week. We were chatting a little bit about this idea. We were, we were talking about like uh, how much weight sometimes we feel with, uh, uh, well, make sure you're ministering to your neighbors. How many of you have felt the weight of that? How many of you have also noticed that your neighbors don't even come out of their house? Anybody else have, <laughs> have that? You're like, well, what are they doing there all the time? Don't they ever come out? They hibernate? Uh, and, and so, but we were talking about that. Where God, in, in his design, like he's placed us in a lot of different workplaces, right? With people that we spend 40 to 50 to 60 or who knows how many hours you're working. People that he's called us to minister to. And what does that look like? In fact, we start talking about what would it look like we're in, in the month of March. We're going to do a workshop on how do we more effectively minister in our specific jobs. We're going to watch for that as a equip you elective coming up in March. But the, this idea is they were okay with them having specific callings on their life. And God's given you each specific callings of where he's placed you in the doors that he's opened up and there's freedom in that. You don't have to solve all of it. What you can do is just to enjoy, have fun ministering to the people that he's surrounded you with. Like take some of the, the weight off. Another freedom principle is following God's ministry calling in your life. This last one I want to conclude with, you'll see that just the very last uh, verse there in that section of scripture. Verse 10 says this, only, so he's talking to say, hey, they didn't add a single thing, but the only thing they did mention only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Thought this was interesting. Whereas they all had this uh, separate ministry callings, people that they were specifically to be reaching to, the unified thing that they had was, hey, all of us collectively need to have eyes for caring for people financially, with the people that are struggling emotionally, physically, caring for the poor. That's a united calling. It's not something that we get to sneak away from because we're like, you know what? I'm just placed in this particular job, in this field, in this neighborhood, and I don't have to worry about that. It's a charge for, either, uh, for each of us to be the bringers of freedom to people to set people free, to, to release them from the bondage. And so my question for us is, what does that look like in your life? Is that a piece of it? Is that even on your radar? Is that even on the horizon? For me, it's a convicting thing, just wrestling through. What does that look like in Agora Hills, California? Not a, a, a ton of a homeless necessarily in this, in this town, but the needs around us we're surrounded by are great. And so what would it look like collectively? We're trying as a church to introduce some different things. And it's been so fun. I've been encouraged, just to, here's me sharing my heart, is, is, is watching the response that we as a church have. I feel like anything that we introduce as a new option to serve, you guys are like, roll up your sleeves, ready to go. Like last week we did the, this, uh, this uh, deal where we're helping out, it's the new Hospital Relief International that we're working with, where people are taking the hospital supplies and redirecting them to uh, third world countries and trying to get them directed to people that really have needs. And that room was packed last week with people sorting stuff, diving in. I would love to see that even expanded. So I feel like the response that Paul says, what did he, what did he say? I was eager to do this. I see that same eagerness in our church and I'm excited as things play out in the years to come to see what does that look like to keep expanding, to keep growing a heart for those in need around us. What does that look like as a church? And so keep, keep watching. I think we're, God's got some neat things in store for us with that, stretching our hearts and, and serving needs around us. So those are some different freedom principles that we see in the text here. And I want to conclude with this thought. And, and really, there's two 
uh, people that I want to just address. Maybe the person that shows up this morning and, and you're, you're listening to this and you're like, man, I've been following Jesus for a long time, but I've slipped back into just putting those shackles on, those chains of expectations, of rules, of uh, I, I'm, I'm not quite meeting God's standard. Like he must be disappointed in me today. To just today, just let those chains drop. Just let those chains drop. What was that first principle that I, that I brought up to you? You can see it on the, on the screen there, there now. God's pleasure in you is not based on your performance for him. God's pleasure for you is not based on your performance. He's crazy about you, the messed up person that you are. Is that okay to say that? And uh, I'm saying it to myself too. And, and, and so to just bask in that, bask in that freedom today. But the, the, the other person, the other person that maybe showed up this morning is just like, they're talking a lot about freedom, but I don't feel like that. I've been, I've been on this trek of trying to solve things on my own, trying to, trying to fix things, trying to, trying to earn my way to God's favor. I've been on that track since I can remember. But the invitation this morning is for that person to say, man, just, just let go. Accept the grace that Jesus Christ offered through his death and payment for you on the cross. Say, man, this is going to be the morning that I'm set free. I'm going to start living. I, I can start applying those freedom principles because I'm going to start by kneeling before the cross, accepting Jesus' death as payment for my sins, no longer trying to solve it and fix it myself. I'm going to release it to him. Man, this could be a changing, transforming Sunday for somebody that showed up through these doors, that that freedom idea could become real for the first time. So that's my prayer for both types of people here this morning. Let me pray as I conclude. God, we thank you so much for this text. And, and even at, at first glance, I, I have to admit, there's a lot in there that I was having trouble to even make sense with. But when you start to see the thread of, of freedom running throughout and the way that Paul lived it out in such a practical way, he wasn't willing to go back to the old ways, the old way of bondage. He was choosing to live in that freedom. I pray that for our church, even here this week, that that would be an intentional choice, not trying to do things to earn God's favor, but out of an expression of gratitude for what you've done for us. So thankful. And I pray for that person that's maybe been sitting here, maybe been sitting here for a while, but if they're honest with themselves, they can't point to a time where they've embraced what Jesus Christ has done for them. They've never even started to taste that freedom. I pray that this morning they would drink of that fully, They'd embrace your payment, your invitation. You're a gentleman. You don't impose this on anyone, but you extend that invite. I pray that no one would leave here this morning without taking advantage of that invitation. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you stand up to your feet? We're going to close this service of worship with a little energy, and it goes like this.
jailbreak what an awesome picture of God's grace I, my hope is is that somebody if, if you're here and God's tugging on your heart like if you've never experienced that freedom you wouldn't leave without experiencing that we'd love to be available here to, to talk or pray with you after the service otherwise I pray you have a fantastic week in God's freedom this week God bless you